Chapter Seventeen of the Queen's Necklace by Alexander Dumas, translated by Henry L. Williams. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Bucket. We have endeavored to give an idea in the last chapter of the interest and enthusiasm which drew such crowds of the people to see Monsieur Mesmer perform publicly his wonderful experiments. The king, as we know, had given permission to the queen to go and see what all Paris was talking of, accompanied by one of the princesses. It was two days after the visit of Monsieur de Rohan to the countess. The weather was fine, and the thaw was complete, and hundreds of sweepers were employed in cleaning away the snow from the streets. The clear blue sky was just beginning to be illumined by its first stars when Madame de Lamotte, elegantly dressed and presenting every appearance of opulence, arrived in a coach which Clotilde had carefully chosen as the best looking in the Place Vendôme, and stopped before a brilliantly lighted house. It was that of Dr. Mesmer. Numbers of other carriages were waiting at the door, and a crowd of people had collected to see the patients arrive and depart, who seemed to derive much pleasure when they saw some rich invalid, enveloped in furs and satins, carried in by footmen, from the evident proof it afforded that God made men healthy or unhealthy, without reference to their purses or their genealogies. A universal murmur would arise when they recognized some duke paralyzed in an arm or leg, or some marshal whose feet refused their office, less in consequence of military fatigues and marches than from halts made with the ladies of the opera or of the comedy italienne. Sometimes it was a lady carried in by her servants with drooping head and languid eye, who, weakened by late hours and an irregular life, came to demand from Dr. Mesmer the health she had vainly sought to regain elsewhere. Many of these ladies were as well known as the gentlemen, but a great many escaped the public gaze, especially on this evening, by wearing masks. For there was a ball at the opera that night, and many of them intended to drive straight there when they left the doctor's house. Through this crowd, Madame de Lamotte walked erect and firm, also with a mask on, and elicited only the acclamation, "'This one does not look ill at all events.' Ever since the cardinal's visit, the attention with which he had examined the box and portrait had been on Jean's mind, and she could not but feel that all his graciousness commenced after seeing it, and she therefore felt proportionate curiosity to learn more about it. First she had gone to Versailles to inquire at all the houses of charity about German ladies— but there were there perhaps a hundred and fifty or two hundred, and all Jean's inquiries about the two ladies who had visited her had proved fruitless. In vain she repeated that one of them was called Andrea. No one knew a German lady of that name, which indeed was not German. Baffled in this, she determined to try elsewhere, and, having heard much of Monsieur Mesmer and the wonderful secrets revealed through him, determined upon going there. Many were the stories of this kind in circulation. Madame de Duras had recovered a child who had been lost. Madame de Chantouet, an English dog, not much bigger than her fist, for which she would have given all the children in the world. And Monsieur de Vaudreuil, a lock of hair which he would have bought back with half his fortune. All these revelations had been made by clairvoyance after the magnetic operations of Dr. Mesmer. Those who came to see him after traversing the antechambers, were admitted into a large room from which the darkened and hermetically closed windows excluded light and air. In the middle of this room, under a luster which gave but a feeble light, was a vast, unornamented tank, 
filled with water impregnated with sulphur, and to the cover of which was fastened an iron ring. Attached to this ring was a long chain, the object of which we shall presently see. All the patients were seated round the room, men and women indiscriminately. Then a valet, taking the chain, wound it round the limbs of the patients, so that they might all feel at the same time the effects of the electricity contained in the tank. They were then directed to touch each other in some way, either by the shoulder, the elbow, or the feet, and each was to take in his hand a bar of iron, which was also connected with the tank, and to place it to the heart, head, or whatever was the seat of the malady. When they were all ready, a soft and pleasing strain of music, executed by invisible performers, was heard. Among the most eager of the crowd, on the evening of which we speak, was a young, distinguished-looking and beautiful woman, with a graceful figure and rather showily dressed, who pressed the iron to her heart with wonderful energy, rolling her beautiful eyes and beginning to show in the trembling of her hands the first effects of the electric fluid. As she constantly threw back her head, resting it on the cushions of her chair, all around could see perfectly her pale but beautiful face and her white throat. Many seemed to look at her with great astonishment, and a general whispering commenced among those who surrounded her. Madame de Lamotte was one of the most curious of the party, and of all she saw around her, nothing attracted her attention so much as this young lady, and after gazing earnestly at her for some time, she at last murmured, "'Oh, it is she, there is no doubt. It is the lady who came to see me the other day.' Convinced that she was not mistaken, she advanced toward her, congratulating herself that chance had effected for her what she had so long been vainly trying to accomplish. But at this movement the young lady closed her eyes, contracted her mouth, and began to beat the air feebly with her hands, which hands, however, did not seem to Jean the white and beautiful ones she had seen in her room a few days before. The patients now began to grow excited under the influence of the fluid. Men and women began to utter sighs and even cries, moving convulsively their heads, arms, and legs. Then a man suddenly made his appearance, and no one had seen him enter. You might have fancied he came out of the tank. He was dressed in a lilac robe and held in his hand a long wand, which he several times dipped into the mysterious tank. Then he made a sign, the doors opened, and twenty robust servants entered, and seizing such of the patients as began to totter on their seats, carried them into an adjoining room. While this was going on, Madame de Lamotte heard a man who had approached near the young lady before mentioned, and who was in a perfect paroxysm of excitement, say in a loud voice, "'It is surely she!' Jean was about to ask him who she was, when her attention was drawn to two ladies who were just entering, followed by a man who, though disguised as a bourgeois, had still the appearance of a servant. The tourneur of one of these ladies struck Jean so forcibly that she made a step toward them, when a cry from the young woman near her startled every one. The same man whom Jean had heard speak before now called out, "'But look, gentlemen, it is the Queen!' "'The Queen?' cried many voices in surprise. "'The Queen here! The Queen in that state! Impossible!' "'But look!' said he again. "'Do you know the Queen or not?' "'Indeed,' said many. "'The resemblance is incredible!' "'Monsieur,' said Jean to the speaker, who was a stout man with quick observant eyes, "'did you say the Queen?' 
oh madame there is no doubt of it and where is she why that young lady that you see there on the violet cushions and in such a state that she cannot moderate her transports is the queen but on what do you found such an idea monsieur simply because it is the queen and he left jeanne to go and spread his news among the rest she turned from the almost revolting spectacle and going near the door found herself face to face with the two ladies she had seen enter scarcely had she seen the elder one than she uttered a cry of surprise what is the matter asked the lady jeanne took off her mask and asked do you recognize me madame the lady made but quickly suppressed a movement of surprise and said no madame well madame i recognize you and will give you a proof and she drew the box from her pocket saying you left this at my house but supposing this to be true what makes you so agitated i am agitated by the danger that your majesty is incurring here explain yourself not before you have put on this mask and she offered hers to the queen who however did not take it i beg your majesty there is not an instant to lose the queen put on the mask and now pray come away added jeanne but why said the queen your majesty has not been seen by any one i believe not so much the better the queen mechanically moved to the door and said again will you explain yourself will not your majesty believe your humble servant for the present that you were running a great risk but what risk i will have the honor to tell your majesty whenever you will grant me an hour's audience but it would take too long now and seeing that the queen looked displeased pray madame said she turning to the princess lambaya join your petitions to mine that the queen should leave this place immediately i think we had better madame said the princess well then i will answered the queen then turning to madame de lamotte you ask for an audience she said i beg for that honour that i may explain this conduct to your majesty well bring this box with you and you shall be admitted laurent the porter shall have orders to do so then going into the street she called in german come and see da weber a carriage immediately drove up they got in and were immediately out of sight when they were gone madame de lamotte said to herself i have done right in this for the rest i must consider end of chapter seventeen Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia.